0: Listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, and this week we have with us a returning guest, speech and language pathologist Amanda Binns in Toronto is back with us to talk about another new publication. Um, a few weeks back, we did a podcast about the recent publication on self-regulation in speech and language pathology and strategies. And now we're discussing a new publication about developmental social pragmatic interventions. And this is a systematic review paper. So welcome, Amanda. Hi, Daria. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now for listeners out there, I'm going to be posting a link to this new publication. It is an open access publication available. You can find it at affectautism.com. It will be under, um, the developmental social pragmatic if you do that search. And we're going to talk about what this all means. So, Amanda, I'm going to share my screen and show a link, uh, to the new publication. And tell us, what exactly is this publication all about? And what, what is developmental social pragmatic?
1: Yeah, so I think we should probably start with explaining what do we mean by when we, when we say a developmental social pragmatic intervention. So these interventions are kind of underlying, um, on developmental, Psychology, so they integrate principles from developmental psycho- psychology where we follow a typical developmental trajectory, right? So we're going to target things like joint attention um, and engagement and reciprocal interactions before we start talking about targeting words or putting words together. So it follows a typical developmental trajectory. Um, It also incorporates elements of transactional models of language development. So in this model, what you think about is that it's not just looking at the child in isolation, but really looking at If it's the parent and the child interacting, or if it's two children interacting, you're looking at the dyad or the interaction to see um, what are both parties doing to support and enhance uh, the child's communication. And then the other model that DSP interventions pulls from is the social pragmatic model of language intervention. So in in this, or in, in have language acquisition, sorry, not intervention. So in social pragmatic models, intervention focuses um, more on the child's intent, right, and why the child is communicating and how the child is using language in meaningful interactions. So it directs attention away from things like focusing on the grammar, right, is the child using their um, plural S at the end of the word. Um, Not that that's not important within um, social pragmatic models, but it's not the emphasis, right? So we're more interested in the child using meaningful language and reading the child's intent and thinking about why the child is communicating and is the child able to um, use their language in lots of different contexts with different people uh, for different purposes.
0: And so basically, uh, how not just how language develops, but communication, because if a child is frustrated and can't let someone else know, they're going to be very um, stuck in certain behaviors or, or something and we don't know why. And when, when they're able to communicate with us, whether it's non-verbally or through words, all of a sudden a whole world opens up for them.
1: Yeah, most definitely. So that's that's a really important point is that we're not just looking at, although the social pragmatical pragmatic model of, of language acquisition does look at language per se, it develops through these foundational capacities of a child communicating with gestures, with their facial expressions, with their body movements. So we look at the child using these in a very meaningful and appropriate um, way for their different interactions um, to fit their context before we start mapping the language onto it within DSP models as well.
0: So what exactly did you and Janice Oram-Cardi aim to do when you started this publication? It is a systematic review paper.
1: Right. So that means that what we did was we kind of had um, a very explicit um, way of searching through all of the different publications that have been put out on different um, interventions for preschoolers with autism. and we searched through all of these different interventions. The first thing we wanted to do was really identify, have a clear approach for identifying what interventions are DSP interventions. Because what we noticed was happening was that if an intervention said, hey, I'm a DSP intervention, in a lot of the reviews, it was just classified under a DSP intervention. Now, the problem with that is, is anybody can say, right, I'm a DSP intervention based on their understanding of what DSP is. And if the interventions that are all classified as DSP don't actually meet up on their theoretical kind of underpinnings and, and the way that the model is used, then we're not really comparing apples to apples here, right? So we want to be able to have a really good understanding of what DSP interventions entail and are all the interventions that are claiming to be DSP really kind of meeting all of those different criteria. So that was our first step was to develop a kind of a systematic um, way of identifying DSP interventions, finding all the different interventions that um, said that they were DSP and finding all the different articles that had classified interventions as DSP in the past, and then going through and evaluating, do all these interventions meet the criteria to be considered DSP? So do they use um, a typical developmental trajectory, which aligns with developmental psychology? Do they use kind of parents and interaction, um, looking at the dyad, which aligns with that transactional model of language development and are they using the social pragmatic, um, elements that we, that we mentioned that focus on kind of the meaning and functional language use, um, rather than focusing on the the grammatical structures and, and the words specifically.
0: And are there any, um, I, I, think I recall seeing, that list now, you just listed a bunch of things, but I, I remember one thing that jumped out to me was naturalistic observations. Yes. Um, are there is that part of the criteria defining DSP? Yeah, so table
1: one of the
0: publication
1: um, outlines the in a nice little chart all of the criteria for which interventions qualify for DSP um, versus non DSP. And along the side, you'll also see a list of the interventions that were either either self-identified as being DSP or previous uh, publications had identified them as being DSP. So the fact that um, the intervention occurred within a natural setting um, is one of the, the criteria that um, is included in a DSP intervention. And if you look at the table, you'll notice that there are, are a great number of the interventions, some which actually didn't um, meet criteria for DSP, but they still met criteria for um, following, following that element of, of the intervention.
0: <clears throat> so in the final column on the right, this is where you conclude whether they're considered DSP or not. Correct. Yes. Okay, very interesting. So, um, is there anything else you wanted to say about this table? Um, I think I think
1: one of the important things to note is that um, so this criteria came from uh, a publication uh, that was previously um, written by uh, Brooke Ingersoll, and there was one element that we did add to the criteria for DSP intervention, and that was um, use of explicit or indirect prompts, right? And the reason that we thought that this was so important to include within this model um, is because because of the focus of DSP interventions is about reading children's intent and reading And having them use language in functional ways, um, it's really fundamentally different to have a child prompted to use kind of expected outcomes, right? So you think about those fill-in-the-blank sentences, right? Dog goes, there's really only one right answer to that question, right? Or that fill-in-the-blank sentence. Um, Or also say please, Again, the child only really has one way of correctly answering that that prompt um, versus scaffolding to support um, the child's spontaneous generation, right? So if we have, like, oh, look at the talkie, it's the talkie, right? And then you might even be like, and then see what the child does, right? They could respond by saying, woof, woof, back to you. Or they could respond by saying, hmm, right? They might not like dogs. Or they could respond by, like, pushing the dog away. Or they could respond by petting the dog. So there's lots of different ways that the child could respond. And that would be more aligned with a DSP, Um way of maybe approaching communication and and language for the child. Um, and so we wanted to include that in the criteria for DSP interventions also because there's, there's a push towards um, integrating behavioral models of intervention and developmental models, right? So I think more and more there's research to support that developmental models are super important, um, particularly with with younger children when you're working with them, right? You need to work on those foundational capacities like attention and reciprocity, joint attention, um, engagement with a caregiver before you can work on language. And so if there's this push to combine developmental and behavioral interventions, that it's it's really important that we think about what pieces of the developmental um, interventions are we taking with us into these behavioral interventions, right? So if we're still using explicit prompts for language, it might align with um developmental principles because you're still following a typical developmental trajectory. However, it wouldn't align with the social pragmatic model of intervention because there are explicit prompts and kind of only one right answer maybe for how the child um, responds to a question. So I think if we want to start looking at what are the um, elements of different interventions that really help to support children, then we have to be able to um, kind of dissect this a little bit further and, and think about what explicit prompting is doing for communication and language development. And is that what we want to be using to um, support their language or do we want to use more um, indirect
0: prompts? And so let me remind the listeners that this review is about preschoolers. So it's about preschoolers and that's when language and communication are de- is developing. And then also that this publication is just from a communication standpoint. So mm-hmm. this is not necessarily an overall um, approach or intervention for autism necessarily. It's specifically about from a communication standpoint that your focus is.
1: Right. Right. I mean, we're not saying that explicit prompting is is inherently bad, right? There's a time and a place. You don't want your child to be um, running into the road. You're going to be telling them, stop, right? (laughs) You you have to stop. There's only one right answer to how you respond to this. Um, But we're thinking about it from a a communication standpoint. Is that the way that we want the child to be able to um, learn how to use their words flexibly in lots of different contexts? Um, if they're reliant on somebody, um, kind of giving them that prompt for how to
0: communicate. And so what, um, I guess who's the target audience in your mind for this review? Is it speech and language pathologists specifically? I I mean, it's
1: anybody who's working with a child on communication, um, Another audience, I mean, policymakers are really interested in systematic reviews as well. So um, it's it's a nice way to kind of summarize the research, kind of pull out all the findings, look for patterns among the different interventions. Um, and and also researchers, right? This is the type of work that helps to inform where the research needs to go next and what we need to be doing next. So it it kind of runs the gamut. Maybe it's not as parent friendly Um, it doesn't necessarily tell you this is exactly um, what we think you need to be doing but but it does help to kind of inform um what is the research currently saying right now and where do we need to go next
0: with the research and and those were two things i was going to ask about uh first of all if a parent looks at this and looks at table one Does that mean they should say, "Oh, okay, I'm not going to do any of the non DSPs. I only want to do the DSPs. I only want to. It makes my job easier because I can eliminate all of these other choices when I'm, when my child gets a diagnosis and I'm confronted with all of these options. What the heck do I choose? Okay, Uh let me go through and cross out all the non DSP. That's not necessarily your goal here.
1: No, no, no. So so the table one, what it does is it helps us to make sure that when we're reviewing the intervention studies that we're kind of comparing apples to apples, right? And we're not um, kind of collapsing interventions that maybe don't target um, communication in the same way and then comparing them in, in one kind of foul swoop and saying, these interventions work or don't work, right? It's important if we're looking at the efficacy of these interventions, we want to make sure that they're all targeting things in as similar a way as we can uh, possibly have when, when uh, comparing different interventions, because we do identify that that things are done differently, right? And these interventions are all also very individualized to the child and, and parents that are being supported during, um, their their therapy right and oh go ahead So, so sorry. So, I was going to say that all of this, all that this chart does is it, it helps parents to recognize if they've identified, you know what, I think developmental social pragmatic models are the the way that I want to go. Um, It would help a parent to identify which ones meet the criteria. Um, And then you could look at the, the evidence that we've shared um, a little bit later in the paper with, with the results. Um, And that's where we evaluate kind of the, the the evidence for the different interventions, right? So you can look at DIR and DIR-based interventions and say, okay, what is the evidence for these interventions? Does the research show that this is um, really helpful for for children or or does it show that more research needs to be done? Um, So there's different interventions um, like certs. there's more than words, hand-in's more than words intervention. There's DIR-based intervention. So there's three different DIR-based interventions that are mentioned in this, in this article. There's MERIT, which is, was based on the Milton and Ethel Harris Research Initiative um, treatment study that was done um, at York University, um, and there's uh, the play project, which is another intervention that is based on DIR. And then there was a DIR um, study as well that um, was actually done in Thailand. So we also talk about some of these factors and how they might impact the, the results, right? So if there was only a few children that were studied, Um, the study might not be adequately powered to detect any sort of significant difference in the children. So we wouldn't necessarily expect to see really strong results um, with such few children in the study or the study that was done in Thailand. I mean, there's, the resources that they have in Thailand to carry out the study aren't necessarily the same as what we would see in North America. So we might not expect to to have the robust results that we see um, in the UK or in the United States or in Canada.
0: And let me just specify for the listeners, when she's talking about DIR approaches like the Play Project, we're talking about the developmental individual differences relationship-based model or DIR floor time. which uh, affect autism is all about. And um, again, just a reminder that you can link to this publication at affectautism.com. If you search developmental social pragmatic um, or Amanda bins. (laughs) And um, I, to, I guess you had mentioned that one of the goals is to guide where the research should go next. And Mm -hmm. so what What is your conclusion, based on everything that, that you guys wrote up here, of what needs to be done next in the research? So what
1: Janice and I found was that there was some compelling evidence to show that these DSP interventions um, really supported some of those foundational communication capacities. Right. Um, not surprising because we were looking at younger children in in this review. So things like attention, the child's ability to socially reference and kind of look up to um, the, the caregiver space, um, joint attention, initiation and reciprocity, all of those things. Um, were found to be really well supported in DSP interventions. But we didn't find positive, or we didn't find consistent, I should say, positive findings for the child's language post-intervention. And there were a few things that were really interesting about that. So although all of these interventions are considered um, developmental social pragmatic, the tests that were used to evaluate the language for the most part were standardized language tests which are typically more heavily weighted in assessing those things that i said that dsp interventions don't focus on right so they Mm -hmm. assess things like the grammar is the child adding their um plural s at the end um is the child talking about past or future um looking at all of those different grammatical and um vocabulary um, components. Of the and you
0: did of say life. this is preschoolers. I, I can't imagine expecting a preschooler to have great grammar and knowledge of past, present, future. I mean, certainly some do, but to me, um, I mean, just from a lay person, I know nothing about speech language pathology other than a little bit from seeing my son's sessions, but <laughs> it, um, I think so, to your point that that's not really what's being assessed. I think what's more important is the child's intrinsic motivation to communicate with another person and building these early foundational skills. So um, as a reader, I wouldn't be uh, worried about the fact that there was not uh, consistent findings in the language development per se, when I'm not really looking I'm not as concerned with my son who's already nine and a half if he gets a grammar mistake, as long as he's communicating with me and initiating with me. And he's has that joint attention because he's intrinsically motivated to connect with me. And that's what the relationship uh, brings out in, in, um, in him is the desire to be with us in a shared world and communicate and all of that.
1: Right. So, I mean, it sounds like your goals are very much aligned with, kind of the philosophy of the the social pragmatic model of intervention. Um and that's that's what I'm kind of getting at. So the although the standardized tests are normed on kind of typically developing children of the same age, right? So we're not comparing kind of a nine year old speech to a child who's who's four or five, right? So the expectations would be um <clears throat> compared to the typical development of a four year old right mm-hmm. so um, we wouldn't be expecting the child to be using really complex sentences at uh, at that stage um, tick typical development so the child wouldn't be penalized on the standardized test um, either but as you were mentioning um, your goals are to have the child's kind of intrinsic motivation be able to be communicated and shared with somebody else and um that is captured, from my opinion, much better in things like language samples, right? So if you're looking at how does a child use language in their daily interactions um, that more closely model what happens at home or what happens at school, um, that's, for me, what I'm more interested in, right? Because that tells me... um, that the child is gonna be able to kind of generalize those skills a little bit better. So um, in the studies, there was a few studies that did use natural kind of language samples or natural videotaped interactions to evaluate the child's language post-intervention and positive results were found when we used natural um, interaction um, outcome measures. So that's something that's, that's really interesting because I mean, the, the outcome measures should measure what we're trying to target in the intervention to begin with, right? So right. having outcome measures that align with um, what the intervention is actually um, focused on makes sense to me. So going forward, um, I would hope to see more of that be included um, in uh, outcome in intervention outcomes. Um, and... Another thing that, that I think was interesting is that they looked at, um, kind of the mechanisms of change. So what were the things that parents were being coached on that seemed to really be impacting, um, and connected to the child's positive outcomes? Um, so two of the, the things were, were parent responsiveness. Um, they were, found to really kind of drive the change. So that says to me that as, as a clinician, um, that's something that I should focus my attention on in order to kind of help support the parents to learn how to kind of read those less, um, maybe those less noticeable, um, intentions that the child is communicating, right? Sometimes the child doesn't necessarily overtly communicate something like being able to point to the juice over there. Sometimes they might just kind of like look over at the juice and being able to read that um, and respond to the child's intent seems to be something that really helps to drive change um, in the child's um, response to the treatment uh, and positive outcomes. The other thing is synchronous behavior. So really kind of joining in with the child's interest, which aligns with with GIR, with um, More Than Words, with CERTs, with PACT, Um, that was something else that really um, helped to drive changes in in the child's uh, response to intervention. So I think it would be interesting to look at all of the different kind of core features of DSP interventions and look at which of those kind of strategies that DSP interventions include, should we be um, thinking about if we're, if, if we're making kind of NDBI models of intervention and pulling from, we've already pulled from like the developmental psych and looked at, yes, you know what behavior, um, Interventions need to follow a typical developmental trajectory as well. Should we also be thinking about pulling from the social pragmatic models of language acquisition? Maybe we should be um, pulling out the kind of responding to all forms of communication, regardless of the goal. Um, so that's one thing that DSP interventions do that really differentiated Um these natural developmental behavior interventions, the NDBI interventions from DSP interventions. Those DSP interventions kind of, regardless of the goal, will respond to the child's intent. So is that something that maybe should be adopted? if they're looking at um, kind of integrating developmental principles and behavioral principles. Um, Also the, the prompting, is that something? So if we can test kind of these mechanisms of the intervention and see which of them are driving the change in the child, then we better know how to individualize the intervention for the child.
0: Wonderful. And just again, a reminder to listeners that, at affectautism.com under Developmental Social Pragmatic. If you search that, you'll see um, I have, it'll be a video podcast up on YouTube or in the blog. You can link to this article. And this table one from the article we're showing right now, uh, along the top, natural setting, child-initiated episodes, child-selected materials, yes or no, targets, general social communication, yes or no adult responsiveness as a key strategy, yes or no, arrange the environment, yes or no, reinforce naturally, reinforce all attempts, or only indirect prompts. And that, uh, whether it's yes or no, determines whether you categorize it as um, DSP or not. Um, now, Amanda, is it only if they all answer yes that they're DSP? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So some of the interventions and the interventions are listed on the side, including DIR, uh, DIR for time. There's um, some of them you've mentioned. There's, there's Jasper, the merit study at York university, more than words from Hannon, Pact, play project, uh, RDI responsive teaching, sunrise, SERTs, the Denver model, all of these. Uh, and there's others listed here. And then you can see, whether it meets the criteria for this specific thing. And again, talking from a communication standpoint. So I think we'll wrap it up there, Amanda. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, I hope that listeners will take advantage of the free uh, open source access to the article and find it very useful um, when looking at communication strategies.
1: Thanks for having me and letting uh, Janice and I share
0: our, our article here. Thank you. Until next time, here's to Affecting Autism Through Play.